Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Turn up your volume, because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast, with Tony Marinero. Sports entertainment, like no other, it's gonna be sick. Brought to you by Cherry River Hard Seltzer. Only 90 calories, natural flavors, and no preservatives. Now available in Quebec Grocery and The Beer Store. Today is truly an honor. It's not every day you get to interview one of the greatest athletes of all time. That's the opportunity I have today. George Rush St. Pierre. Hello, George. How are you, man? Good? I've had the chance to interview you before, but the first time here on the Sick Podcast presented by Cherry River Hard Seltzer, only 90 calories, natural flavors, no preservatives now available in Quebec grocery stores and at the beer store. George uh, several years since removed from the octagon, but you look better than ever. Well, I'm, a- I'm happy. You know, when you're happy, I mean, it, it reflects on your image. I have to ask you about intermittent fasting because although I look like I'm all muscle, unfortunately, I'm not. I have a few pounds to lose, maybe more than a few, <laughs> probably more like a hundred, okay? But I have two schools of people that whisper in my ear. One school tells me I have to do keto because I can burn fat fast. And the other school tells me I have to do intermittent fasting. I know why you've done intermittent fasting because of ulcerative ulcerative colitis, which my sister suffers from. But uh, what should I do? Well, it, it differs from different peoples. You know, I'm not a specialist in nutrition. However... I do know that the best way to do something is to follow our ancestor. Our, our ancestors have done it. And I know for a fact that Homo sapiens are uh, 300,000 years old. And I know for a fact that we did not eat three times a day and snack in between during all our existence. I know also for a fact (laughs) that our diet has changed over the years. However, I think that our body is the most adapted to what we used to eat, you know, as a species. So therefore, I believe it's good to do intermittent fasting, you know, because our ancestor probably did not eat like as as much as we're doing right now. And I think we are over overfed as a species. There is no other animal that eats three times a day and snack in between 
so I believe it's very good to do intermittent fasting, prolonged fasting. And also, I'm under the impression now that the most nutritious food are coming from animal-based diet, the, the organs, uh, most specifically. Because I've traveled, uh, I had a chance to go in Africa, and when I went to visit the hunter-gatherer tribe, they're, the thing that they they are aiming first when they, they kill an animal or what they look for the most is the organs, like the liver, the heart, and things like this. So there, there you go. You're not a nutritionist, but it sounds like you know a thing or two. I'm having fun following you on on Instagram, by the way, at George St. Pierre, where you post all of your training videos. You post some of your uh, trips as well. Uh, it looks like you had a really good time in Dubai. They must love you there, eh? I had a great time. I mean, um, the thing is, they had a, they have a great system there. They had a, 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 a AI system that take your temperature. So while the whole world was closed during COVID, they were they they were open and they they, they every time you get into a hotel or a taxi, there's a camera that takes your temperature. It's it's pretty crazy. Wow. We don't have this uh, this infrastructure here to do to do this the technology, but they have a lot of money there, so that's why they do that in, the, in these uh, part of the world. It's it's pretty crazy. So I'm, I went there on vacation a little bit. It was good. Uh, speaking of crazy, I'm going to tell you a crazy story. Okay. I have two boys. One of them especially is a real fitness freak, okay? They both play soccer at a very competitive level. One of them is like he trains three, four hours a day. It's not normal. He saw you training on Instagram in different parks in Montreal. I'm telling you, he made me drive around the city. I don't know how many times to see if we can find you. He wanted to train with you. So you do some crazy things. He wants to copy what you're doing. I said, Marco, please don't try that. He's a he's an expert. Please don't try that. Well, it's uh, I like to to train outside. You know, I I don't like to be confined always between f four walls. You know, and, and a ceiling. I like to to get some fresh air, and I like to train in different environment to break the routine a little bit. Yeah, he's a uh, he's a big fan. So I have to tell you that he really admires you and Cristiano Ronaldo, who are two athletes who were both obsessed, almost like an obsession to be number one and not number two. I want to show you him, by the way, he's 16. So uh, oh, wow. he, he does a lot of your uh, a lot of your exercises. But uh, obviously, uh, you're the king. Hey, George, everyone knows by now your story, but I, I never get tired of hearing it. Uh, although it was sad in a way, I think it had a real happy ending. And that was your story of being bullied as a kid. Uh, you were bullied. You had some confidence issues. And, um, you know, it wasn't fun for you. But you said that you told your father once when you came home with a black eye what happened. And that's the only thing you've ever told him. And I'm wondering, did you ever tell anyone else other than your father that one time when you were getting bullied? Well, my, my friend knew at the time, but my friend that I used to hang out with were not, um, they were not the most popular kids at school at school as well. So therefore, like, because they were not the most popular I was hanging out with, then I was not the most popular as well. So uh, they knew, they knew what was going on. But uh, yeah, I, I truly believe that the the obstacle that I faced uh, at the time, it was a very negative experience at the time. But now when I look back at it, it turns out to be a positive because the, the, uh, the, it, all, all this, uh, 
the bullying that I faced when I was young helped me later on in my professional career when I faced uh, some of my opponent that was trying to do some mental warfare with me, trying to bully me in, during the interviews and stuff. It, it didn't work out because I, I, I had this, I, I, I did it before, you know, I went through it before, so it got easier to deal with it. Uh, after when I was doing it in mixed martial arts. So it, it made me stronger in a way. George, it turns out that you and I, we share a mutual friend who saw something in you and you've talked about him before. He saw a future champion and you were working as a bouncer and you were working as a garbage man to pay for some of your studies and to put money in your pocket. And at one point he told you, you got to stop doing this. Yeah, he, he it's Tony, uh, our, our mutual friend. Yeah, I, I was very lucky uh, to to have met him. That uh, we we crossed paths. Not uh, me, Tony. Another Tony. Was... Not me, Tony. Another Tony. Exactly, exactly. And uh, he's a good friend of mine. And we were very lucky that we crossed paths because uh, it was a time that I was broke, you know, and I had to work really hard. And he used to sponsor me. Gave me like uh, $500 a, a month, every month. But that $500, it, it did a big difference in my life because it, it, helped, it helps me avoid a lot, of, uh, a lot of extra stuff that I was doing that was not beneficial for me. So in a way, like Tony was there at the time when nobody knew who I was, when nobody cared about me. He was one of the first that, that saw something in me. And, and, and for that, I'm... I'm, uh, I feel very lucky, you know, to have a friend like Tony. He's, all, he's still there today and he's there. Every time I was fighting, he was the first one that I called and say, hey, uh, I have two tickets for you front row if you need. He, co he couldn't always go because sometimes it's far, but, you know, he, 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 we, we kept in, in touch since then. I had a coffee with him a couple of weeks ago and he told me some stories of you would get in your car and you would drive to New York and take in this clinic, that clinic, always trying to better yourself. And it's incredible. A lot of people don't know the time, the hours, the sacrifices that you put in, but you know, can you begin to put into words just how hard you worked to be who you are? You need to be, to, you need to be willing to step up a notch. You know, when you want something to be the best, you need to be obsessed at the point that you think about it all the time. And you need to also to be willing to get out of your comfort zone in order to, to improve. A lot of guys, they are not ready to do that. They want to stay in their conference comfort zone. They don't want to travel. I used, I needed to travel at the time to learn new techniques, to get better, train with different training partners, guys that are specialists in certain martial arts. I went to Thailand to learn Muay Thai, New York for Jiu-Jitsu, Brazil as well. I traveled the world, Freddie Roach in Los Angeles. I went to different places to, to seek advice from and, and learn from different uh, trainers and from different disciplines. So once I learn something, I put it in my back pocket and I use it. I have an extra weapon that I can use in a fight. And a lot of people are not willing to do this because it, it's pretty hard. You know, when you get into a different, a different gyms, it's, it's a very uncomfortable uh, feeling because the guys are looking at you, especially in combat sport, and they want to try you. You know, they want to try to test you. And it's, at first, it's very hard. But all these obstacles that, that, that you face, and when you overcome it, it makes you stronger. And I think it's one of the big 
part of my success is that I've never been afraid to get out of my, of my comfort zone in order to improve. Today, uh, retired, um, do people want to test you? I mean, it's, you would think not in a way because everyone knows just how good you are and how tough you are, but there's always someone who thinks he's the toughest guy in the room, right? When you go out with your friends, are you worried that on that night there's going to be somebody who's going to want to test you? No, not, not, not that way. Not in the street. I'm, I'm a guy that uh, I never fight in the street. I don't want to fight. You know, I think it's, it's ridiculous. You know, you go out to have fun, not to, to, to fight. But guys want to test me in a way that the guys that are still active in mixed martial art, they know I retired on top. So they see me train on the TV. So they need a big paycheck. So they're like, they, they're calling me out. Uh, during the interviews, but I take it as a compliment, not as an insult. For me, it's a compliment because they, I'm still relevant. You know, they still see yeah. me as the guy there. So for me, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing to be called out all the time by all the, the active fighters in the UFC roster. You make your way to the UFC. Thanks to the support of your parents, which you've talked about a lot as well. You went to see them at one point and you said, Hey, listen, uh, I'd like to take some time off from school so that I can go full-time with my training. And if it doesn't work out, I can always fall back on the school. Your parents granted you that wish. Have you ever asked yourself, because I know you, your parents' support and their acknowledgement, it was very important to you. You ever asked yourself if your parents would have said, we're not going to support you on this, what would have happened? Like, would you have gone for it anyway? Or? I would I would have probably still do it, do it. <laughs> but I, I needed, I wanted to have their blessing in a way that, because I'm aware that they, they support me and they help me, you know, for the money. They, they, since I'm a kid, they raised me. So for me, it was important to have their blessing. And uh, it's just a sign of respect. You know, I've been, I'm, I'm old school, you know, we've been, I, I've been raised old school by my parents and it was a, it was important for the respect to have their blessing. George, you make your way to the UFC. You win your first couple of fights. First one by unanimous decision. Second one by TKO in the first round. And on to UFC 50. You fight Matt Hughes for the, uh, the vacant welterweight championship belt at the time. Memory serves me well. It's a setback for you. You lose. What did that setback feel like? Like, is it hard to bounce back from a loss? Or in this case, it wasn't hard because no one really expected you to win. Um, I had two losses in my career. One, the first one we talk about, it's Matt Hughes. And I believe I lost because I was going into that fight not to win. I was going to not lose because I didn't even believe myself that I could beat that guy. I started believing it after the fight when I saw the replay of the fight. I was like, man, I, was, I wasn't into, a into the fight. I was doing very well. I could have beat this guy. It was all here. It was all mental. And then my second loss, I lost once when I beat Matt Hughes, I became champion. I lost to Matt Serra. And Matt Serra at the time, the odds were like something like 11 to 1. Nobody gave him, gave him a chance. And I started to believe that I was, I had a, a false feeling of security because I just beat the greatest welterweight of all time at the time. And I'm going against a guy that nobody give, give a chance. And not even myself, you know, I didn't see how he could beat me. But it turns out that when the fight starts, 
he clipped me with a punch that I didn't see coming right behind the hair. And I got, I got dizzy. And then I, I made the stupid mistake of trying to, to give it back to him right away and start to get into a slugfest. I, I, and when you get into a slugfest and you're busy, it's not a good idea <laughs> because you're, bi- you're, you're, you're dizzy and your opponent is not. So he's more accurate than you. And I, and, and, and I lost my TKO. Uh, I've learned that with Matt Hughes, the first fight, I should never overestimate nobody. Everybody's human. Everybody's beatable. But also against Matt Serra, I learned, I've learned that I should never underestimate nobody. Because no matter how good you are at, in this game, you're always at one mistake to lose everything. And I've learned these, these, these uh, lessons very well. And after I went on the tear and I, and I was uh, undefeated and I av- avenged all my losses. You won four in a row. UFC 63 comes around. Matt Hughes fights BJ Penn. He beats him. You go in the octagon, and it's a very famous clip, of course, where you get in the ring and you say, you won, I'm happy you won, but I'm not impressed with your performance. We heard that Matt Hughes may have taken that badly at the time. It's kind of like out of character for you. Was it important for you to actually say it so like that? He knew that you were not going to be intimidated by him and you were going after him? Now, what happened at the time is I was ringside and, and Matt Hughes was talking on the mic. But when you're ringside, you cannot hear because of the speaker and people were screaming. And I knew he was talking about me. I don't know what he was saying, but I knew he was talking. And I was, it was I wasn't, I was, he was talking about me. And everybody started looking at me. And um, Dana White was like, go, go, go. And. I was. I thought that he said something bad about me, so I had to go there to promote the fight, to you know, to do something. But it was out of character, and I regret it. After I went to apologize to him, and everybody was like, "Oh my God, don't really, I don't apologize for this. You're trying to promote a fight." But I just, it was out of character for me, and <laughs> I felt bad. April 19, 2008, at the Bell Center in Montreal. I remember the date a because I researched it, b because. I was there, and I saw you avenge your loss versus Matt Sarah. As much as it feels great to have all your friends and family there and the whole crowd going nuts for you at the Bell Center, was that an extra pressure that it was hard to deal with, that you really needed to work hard? Because I'm sure you probably went into it saying, oh, my God, there's 20,000 people here that I don't want to disappoint. Or do you forget about that? Nah, the pressure was there, but I like to put pressure on myself. It makes me more stressed, but I'm the type of guy that performs better under pressure. I'm at my best when I'm on the edge, you know, and I can't, and I can't, I can't lose. That's how I feel I'm, I perform at my best. A couple of controversies. I want to get to them very quickly. One was you beat BJ Penn, and I remember Dana White going around ringside talking to other fighters saying, it's not cool, George had Vaseline all over his back and stuff like that. Did you? No, <laughs> no, I did not. The thing is, a cornerman of mine, he's from Muay Thai background, so he put, he put his hand on here to put the Vaseline. At the time, we, we, we were able to put Vaseline during the, in the corner, like, like in boxing. Yeah. He put his hand on there. Then he make me like a massage. And I look at the replay. I'm like, man, what the hell? Why is he doing this? I, I could not really understood what, what, what he was doing. But I'm in the middle of a fight. I don't. That's not what I'm thinking about. 
but it's true that it looked bad. Like, like he, he, he's doing this, then a massage here, like, like, you know, to shake up my arm and stuff like that. You know, that's what they do in Muay Thai to look Muay yeah. Thai fight, but he, he wanted to loose me up. So, so to speak, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't put Vaseline in my back. No. UFC 167, you fight Johnny Hendricks. You took a lot yes. of punishment. You won by split decision. Let's take a look at a picture, if we can, of your face after the fight at the press conference. All right, okay. George, it was one of the worst nights in my life because I know, like, all of us, especially your fans from the province of Quebec, we care about you so much. I saw you like that, and I had a hard time sleeping that night. Was it... Did you feel as bad as you looked, or are you someone who bruises and cuts easily? No, I bruise and cut easy, but it was mostly emotional. I wasn't in, 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 in the middle of a depression at that time. I, I was not. I was not. I was not feeling well emotionally. I, it was very hard for me. And, and after a fight, you become very emotional, and it did not came out well. I should have waited before saying what I what I had to say. I was angry at the UFC, angry at, at everybody because I felt they were trying to protect it, protect someone who was cheating at the time. I was very angry and um, I had a lot of other personal problem and I felt too shy to talk about it because I was thinking, oh, people will say, oh, what is he asked to complain about because he's rich, famous. So I was a little bit of a shame. It did not come out well, but I had other fight that physically I was most, I was more damaged. I mean, I, my first fight with BJ Penn was way worse. Uh, the next day after that fight, I, I was in California playing volleyball on, at the beach. So it was no problem. It was mostly emotional, you know. Are you still too shy to talk about what that personal problem was? Because if you are, I'll totally respect your privacy. But you said at the time, you, you know, I, I need to get away. I need some time. I'm, I'm not good right now. And something going on. You had personal reasons. Uh, have you yeah, ever made those personal reasons? Family issue, uh, yeah. uh, family issues, and also I felt I was like fighting against doping, and I felt UFC had a lot of corruption. They were trying to protect some of their fighters, and I was just fed up. I was just tired to 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 do to feel to feel that for a long time, and I wanted just to get out of the radar. Too much pressure for too long for being champion and being challenged. I wanted just to get out of the spotlight. You know, I I, I felt it was weighing very heavy on my shoulder for too long. You come back after four years. You probably wanted to come back sooner. You had suffered an ACL injury, I believe. You move up in weight to middleweight. You fight Michael Bisbing. There was the Hall of Fame in Toronto. You guys were promoting the fight, and you got into a confrontation. I'll show you the picture here, uh, if you can. That picture, you know exactly what that was all about. I watched that, and I'm like, oh, my God, are they promoting the fight, or... Are they really mad at each other because you guys are throwing F-bombs back and forth? And I'm like, oh, what's going on here? Hey, it was a kid that came to ask me for an autograph at the time. And I see Bisping walking to me and he goes, hey, keep your hand on for yourself. But after looking back at things, when we talk to each other, it's not fake. We, we're saying real stuff. You know I, I, you know what I mean? It's not, it's not stage. But I think that Michael said it was a TM, TMZ camera nearby. So you wanted to add some some uh you know some gas on the on the fire to boost up the promotion i love when you told them you're not afraid of them and that if you if you touch me i will break you it was kind of like ivan drago i must break you i love that <laughs> why did you feel it was important for you to tell him i'm not afraid of you like you told them a couple of times well i, I it's not be don't take my uh, kindness for a weakness 
<laughs> I like that. I really loved it. You you fight Bisbing and you beat him. I'll, I'll, I I can never like I. Uh, it's over, Joe. It's over, Joe. It's over, Joe. George St. Like I can never forget that fight. Like it's I'll always remember that fight. How like when you go back and you think of that fight and beating Bisbing after four years away from the sport, moving up in weight. I know you had a lot of support from Quebec. A lot of fans made their way down to MSG. How proud did it make you to win that fight? When you look back, like you made so many people so proud, right? Like you, you did the unthinkable. You came back after four years and moved up in weight. Yeah, I wanted to do something that was different. And that's why I did it, to, to challenge a champion from another weight class and, uh, you know, to, to finish him. That was one of the, my main, two, two of my main criticism during my whole career. I was, I was, I never fought outside of my weight class and I never, uh, you know, my fight were too much uh, technical. I needed to put more emotion into it to go for the finish. And that's what I did. I think you're on your way to the dentist, but right before you go, I want you to hear from Khabib. My father said, his dream fight, me versus Justin Pierre. <laughs> okay, I have a theory on this. A lot of people wanted to see GSP versus Khabib. Um, I think the U- everyone wanted to see it but the UFC. If the UFC knows that George is going to retire after the fight, then it leaves Khabib with a loss should he lose. Am I right in thinking this or no? Or is this just... It, it, it's business for them. They they, they want to keep the, 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 the ball rolling. They don't want a guy to retire with a title. They never want that. They only want that at the end when the timing was off. You know, when we both retired. It's a business. Uh, they're, they're businessmen. It's normal. It's nothing personal. In 30 seconds here, if you visualize that fight that never happened, but you visualize it in your head if it would have happened, if you would have beat him, how would you have beat him? I think I would have overwhelmed him with all my uh, my creativity, fake feints, standing up, takedown, entries, uh, in and out, and, and all of that. All my, my creativity, my speed, my explosiveness, would I think, would have made a difference, but... We never know. There's only one way to find out, and we will never find out. And and maybe we, if, on ten fight, you know, if we would have fight ten times, it would be ten different outcomes. So it's impossible to say. George honored with a hundred and thirty-six kilogram bronze statue in Saint Isidore, inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame. Do you ever take a step back to realize just how accomplished a career you've had, and how many of your family and friends you've made proud? I'm very happy, and it's an honor for me to have that in my town. Last question. What's going on with the Kennedy in Montreal? I don't know. I don't really watch hockey, my friend. It's not my, my thing. I heard they're doing pretty bad. In ending, in 10 seconds, what's next for George St. Pierre? Would there be, ever be anything that would bring you back to the octagon or been there, done that? What, what's next for you? A movie? Nah, a thing, I'm, what? Done, I'm done, I'm done prove, trying to prove I'm the strongest man in the world. I, it could be uh, different things, you know, like uh, inter, uh, in the entertainment industry. I look forward to it, George. Merci beaucoup. Thank you for your time. Thank you, my friend. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow The Sick Podcast on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. 
Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Cherry River Hard Seltzer. Only 90 calories, natural flavors, and no preservatives. Now available in Quebec Grocer and The Beer Store.